Quite the Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints. Hello and a warm welcome back to What and Maneuver podcast. This is part two and indeed episode two, um, part two of our first episode which was debuted uh, a couple of weeks ago and talking about all things 1997. I am Kev, and I am joined once again by the wonderful Sai. Sai, how are you? Evening, Kev. How are you, mate? Good. Good, good. Um, always a pleasure to talk to yourself, and especially when we're talking about good, good wrestling. Um, yeah. Last time out, I think we got up to SummerSlam. We obviously discussed... I, think did we, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It was, it was a couple of weeks ago, and you know what my memory's like. So I don't think we finished talking about SummerSlam because we, we, we didn't do, injury, didn't we? Yeah, we didn't cover the main event, so we didn't cover the title switch. So I, we can start yeah. there if you want. And so just... This was one of these times doing what WWE do very well at times when they sort of integrate a couple of stories into one. Yep. Uh, they obviously were talking about Brett being the champion going up against Taker. Uh, sorry, I should say Brett going up against Taker for the belt, Taker being yep. the champion. Um, but they also included Shawn Michaels into the mix, and I'm always a fan of wrestling when it does that. It's, it's brilliant when it's one story, but during the Monday Night Wars, and a couple of times before this had done it, and they, they weave in and out so that it sort of blurs the lines between different stories, and I mean, nowadays I think they would just fire them all in a triple threat match and be done with it, but they inserted Shawn Michaels as a guest referee. Uh, I'm not too sure how fit Shawn was, because we know that he had that devastating injury back in February. Um, He lost his smile and had to forfeit the belt, but what was your thoughts on Brett, who we know you're a a big Bret Hart fan, but what was your thoughts on Brett challenging for the title and this was going to be his... Fifth, am I saying right? Yeah, my memory says me correct. Fifth, which at the time I think was was it equal and Hogan. Um, yes. I mean now you've got people who aren't even worth lacing Bret Hart's boots that have got seven, eight, nine, ten WWE title reigns, and it's something we will talk about a wee bit later. Where the titles are not as prestigious as they once were. But what was your thoughts on this main event and how they they mix Sean in with the the two title contenders? Oh, it was, it was so well done. It's probably one that still holds up as one of the, the greatest SummerSlam main events of all time. I think it was, the match went on about 30 minutes, so it wasn't just one of these 10, 15 minute shots, but it had a bit of everything in it. It was that, the whole brawling outside the ring, sharpshoot around the ring post, just a, a really good match. And it was one of those ones that, that just built Brett up uh, even more so, and it done the, the job that... Um, are getting Sean over as well because he was, as you say, he was kind of on and off um, over those last couple of months. I think he came back, they obviously came back at the King of the Ring and fought Austin. He had a couple of tag matches with Austin as well, but he was kind of just lost in the mix there. And that, I watched that a couple of weeks ago. That that month of like the July through to August is probably the, the hottest it is because it's Ross in Canada one week and America the next, and Michaels is acting. Up everywhere, Brett's acting daft, and the Undertaker just—he has kind of an afterthought in it because even though he's the champion, his main storyline is going to come later in the year, and that's the seeds are already getting sown for that one. So he kind of felt like an afterthought, and this was going to be all about Brett and Sean again, and it was towards the end of the match because most people did actually think that Undertaker would go over, I think, but then when they done that stipulation a week before, when they said that um, if they lose, that they'll. 
neither of them will uh, Brett Lewis will never wrestle in the United States again so that kind of that changed it all up I guess and, and, and made the outcome a bit more predictable but the match itself was was outstanding and the finish is still one of my, my favourite the best finishes in my opinion of all time where you've got the screwy finish when Brett spits and Sean Sean swings a chair and then wallop and then it's the, the one two three but no, it, it still holds up even now as one of the best title matches of all time. It's funny, it's just the, the real life intertwining with the art of these yeah. two. Everybody who listens to this pod, everybody who watched wrestling to any sort of degree knows that they did not go on, and especially about this time, and Sean has walked out after they did a fight backstage and said it wasn't a, a safe working environment and stuff like this yep. but that was just Sean being such a Sean as we know and we, we all love him for him despite his faults but aye, this match to me it's Bretton and Taker are always in good matches yeah. they used to do that thing where Taker it wasn't quite the the monster that he would be say against Sean but he was the big guy and Brett would always go after the legs and try to get him in the sharpshooter and I think he did a decent match as well at um, the one night only pay per view, the UK yeah. one. Yeah. We may talk about it a wee while because that was that's one of the hottest crowds, perhaps not of the year, because they've still got Canadian Stampede, like we discussed last time out. But for British crowds, I mean we we've, we've been deprived of good yeah. wrestling. Um this point I mean, after this they sort of done the whole it was like once a year if I remember, I think it was about November or something. Uh-huh. They used to November come over and May and do, they used to do it, yeah. He used to come over and just do the, remember the UK only pay-per-views and I mean half the time we'd get jobber matches. I mean, Alex yeah. Noel versus X-Pac and stuff like that. It was just nitty cared, but he, the odd time you would get a decent main event or something. But for me, one night only was a, a brilliant pay-per-view and again, Sean's a dick in the main event. <laughs> Bulldog promises to keep the date over his, oh, his six sisters. And Sean's like, no, actually, I'm going to change that because I want more heat and Sean is getting actually pelted by the way at the ring with stuff, but the other sort of notable incidents um, from SummerSlam is obviously the Aston injury. Mm-hmm. I am not the biggest Owen Hart fan. I never was. To me, he was just Brett's younger brother. Don't doubt he was a nice guy. Don't doubt he was a, a good worker, but he just never really interested me the way Brett did. I think he lacked yeah. the he lacked the charisma. He lacked something. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm not one of these guys that just because somebody died will change my opinion and say, oh, I absolutely loved him and he was absolutely tremendous. Again, I'm not saying he was bad by any stretch, but he just, it wasn't as good as Brett. And no, for me, Brett not. tried everything he could to build him up. He tried to get him, well, he did get title programs with him, but for whatever reason, they never really pulled the trigger. But this, this night, he's very, very careless. And I don't think that's a stretch to say that. And he, he tombstones the Golden Goose and, and almost ruined Austin's career and I think we touched on it and we touched on sliding doors moments if that mm-hmm. goes any worse where is the WWF now if they don't have Steve Austin exactly no it's one of those ones and it's not as if they just bought it was a complete botch it's the way he took it it wasn't even a normal tombstone it's that way he kind of jumped up and just planted them right and Owen landed in his arse and Austin obviously right in his neck, so he couldn't get enough time to put his neck in. So, again, that is, it's one of those moments of well, what happens if Austin, that's him. Because the doctors did initially say, no, you're, you're done, you can't do it. I think he got two or three opinions, and then eventually they, 
And then it did it limited Austin after that, even though he, was, he still rose to the top. But I mean, he wasn't doing the stuff that he was doing early doors in WWF and the stuff that he was doing in WCW. So he lost a lot of that that momentum, and it just made him an out and out brawler. And that's that's kind of what the sad thing is about it, because how good could he have been? Even though he was one of the best of all time, but how could how good could he have been if that injury didn't happen? Scary, but yet the what you lost in Austin's lack of matches because I think he only has a handful of matches now towards mm-hmm. the end of the year, which is probably a miracle in itself. But you gained and wanting to see Austin on the TV show like we discussed yeah. last time. Strangely, would have not been there, not been on matches every week, just appearing on Raw, doing the whole angle of having to give up the belt and then appearing and having to get signed off with a medical condition and fighting against the company who didn't want to let him wrestle in case he really injured himself. That, that just made him more popular. And it, if he wasn't on the road to being the man of the company before, that just emphasised it and just really boosted him. Yeah, he only has a few, as you're saying, he only does have a few matches. He has the, the match against Owen, the survivors. That only lasts a couple of minutes, then he's getting the match with The Rock. Um, last in your house of the year and that's just a brawl as well and it, it's over and done me in about five minutes but that's, that is one of the most I wouldn't say the best matches of the year it's just out and out carnage so I would definitely recommend that to to people to watch go back and watch that one or, or the first time Austin and The Rock face each other it's not a classic but it's, it's still exciting it's a good five ten minutes of action Now on the other side as we like to talk about both and WCW is something we've all gone to a lot further. Their pay-per-view in August 97 was from Sturgis. Now, Bischoff has went on record as saying that he didn't mind having no gate because what he made up for in ticket and advertising revenue and bigger sponsors was worth what he let go mm-hmm. of the gate. Now, do I believe that? I don't know. Do I think Eric believes it? Yes, I do. But I, I just can't see why you would give away a free house like this. Um, but it's WCW, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's something that he liked to... I know he is like a biker. He likes to do that whole Sturgis thing every year. It's, he's probably thought this is going to bring new eyes onto the product. And To be fair, at the time, WCW were the, were the top promotion out of the two. And it's, it's, he's probably just felt it's worked. So let, let's see it. Let's see it going forward. And they do it for the next couple of years, but... It kind of fades pretty quickly when it's a bunch of, I don't know, I wouldn't say rednecks, but it's a bunch of bikers that are just drunk in the background. They're not really, you, you see these people, they're not really paying much attention to the action that's that's ongoing in the ring. So, no, it's a good visual at the time, but there's no longevity in it, to be honest with you. And, and you'll see that as the Road Wild pay-per-views go on. And, um, it just kind of fades and then, Obviously, it happens with WCW. We know what happens with WCW, but the, the card itself was actually okay. You got Ric Flair against X Pop. He was known as Six Then you had Kurt Hennig and DDP, Giant V Savage, the Steiner Brothers, always good in their matches. They were facing the Outsiders and Hollywood Hogan facing Luger for the title. So, I get a good card on paper, but um, I don't know about buy rates and stuff like that. How well it done, what the reception was from fans and stuff like that, but. WCW at the time, they, they couldn't do much wrong, so no, fair play to them for do, taking that sort of approach and thinking out the box. It's, 
Lex Luger's one that I think we'll do maybe a deep dive on in the future because he's a, yeah. he's one of these guys and he reminds me a lot of Sid that he got where he was because of his look. But if you say AMD, what's your best Lex Luger match? Yes. Yeah, that's slim pickings, isn't it? That is. Uh, compa- yeah. Sid, at least with Sid, he could he could work a crowd. He it was popular. Do you know? It was far more popular than Luger ever would be. And Sid was one of the best. Certainly in his, his ninety six, ninety seven run WWF when he won the title, that he was massively over, especially at the Survivor Series pay per view. When he, I think we talked about it when he won the title last week. Um, by beating Sean, but he was massively over then, and it kind of just faded out for him. So it's just sometimes in the right place at the wrong time, and that was one of those ones we said. So no, I definitely rate him higher than, than Lex Luger. Because I like you say, at least Sid was he had a cool finishing move, and people for whatever reason liked him. They liked doing fist bumps and wait the ring before fist yep. bumps were sort of cool, and he had that that cool firework and. As to say, he had a look, but to me, look, I never saw Luger as anything above. I'm surprised he was given world title reigns. I mean, yeah. maybe in the late 80s, where you put him in the flare and you think he could be our Hogan, blah, 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 fair enough. But when you're talking 97, 98, and he's still kicking about still on top, there. and you're like, well, you it's see, so, so strange. Yeah, Vince was obviously hesitant. Because he gave him the chance at the SummerSlam and it, it didn't really kick off against Yoko. He'd done that. Was it the bionic elbow finish and then the slam, stuff like that. So, Oh, it was, the, not, it was the forearm, wasn't it? He had yeah. a metal plate in the forearm, that was that. That's right, that's how he knocked people out. He used that one, Yokozuna, I think, to get the advantage. I think that was a DQ in that match at SummerSlam 93, but he kind of fizzled out after that. He, Vince tried to push him as Mr. America, the new Hogan. Um, that whole Survivor Series event was built. I think, can you remember that the, the, there's an opening vignette and it's Lex Luger and his family sitting around Thanksgiving dinner. So <laughs> that's just that's clearly something that's came from Vince trying to get this this new guy that they have brought in over as a as a mega babyface. Because they brought him in a couple of months prior and he was, he was a healed member. He was a narcissist. Uh, um, he was there, and then they quickly turned him. So I think he was more there was more to him as a heel. But no, they, they turned him right away and it kind of fizzled out. Doing the joint rumble one, you thought, oh, maybe there's a chance. But they never ever pulled the, the trigger on him. and He just kind of faded away after Brett won the title at the WrestleMania 10. And Lex just faded out of the background. And, yeah, that was him. He was gone just over a year later. So, but it just showed Vince didn't have the, the trust uh, to do it. That, then he, was, he did come from WCW and WA in the first place. So he's probably just felt more at home back there and I think Eric Bischoff himself even says he didn't particularly rate Luger but he just felt there was something that the fans connected to in there so he's probably felt back uh, fell back into good times back at WCW but no he never ever done it for me and then to see him basically as a buffed up I don't know, like a roid rage, roid head going through the last couple of years, 99-2000, he could hardly walk to the ring, it was embarrassing to watch, so it just shows that WCW was well off the rails by then, but no, Luger himself never rated him, it's one that we could talk about for for hours and end, I think, but he just never ever done it for me. He was, he was a WCW guy, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you get some guys that you say, right, they're WWF, Undertaker, without saying it right. But you get some guys that jump 
and you go, ah, they don't really suit WCW. Bret Hart, right? He was never a WCW guy. But Lex Luger for me, he's a WCW guy. He belongs there. Good or bad, that's where he, <laughs> that's where he, he belongs and that's where he done most yeah. of his, I don't even want to say best work, but I think he, he was sort work. of over for a while. Yeah. Uh, he worked. But again, it's, and again, we'll talk more about WCW in the coming weeks and months. And come later in 99, he'd just he would try to find stuff for people to do and throw stuff at the wall and see what stuck. And unfortunately for WCW by that time, very, very little stuck. Yeah. So, coming out of SummerSlam, the next sort of couple of months is where WWF really, really changes. They change their attitude officially by the end of the year, but they sort of start about this time. Sean yep. is starting to team about with, with Triple H, and you can see this at a start of DX evolving, where sort of, and we've seen this a million times on Raw, where two heels that sort of have a common goal tend to work together for a while. They start tag teaming a couple of times, but DX is really well in a way to be formed with China and Strangely, mm-hmm. Rick Rude, who again, I don't think he really ever fit in, but. No, I think he wasn't a big Shawn Michaels fan either. He was like, best mates with, with Bret Hart, so you obviously find out what happens with Rude further down the line. He just walks out after what happens in November, but I think he never ever fit in there, and that was just really somewhere to try and put him back on TV because he was obviously back under, under contract to WWE. I think it was only a short term one, and that's how he ended up going, but. Um, week to week, I yeah, he never ever fit in DX anyway. I think he's the first; he's the only guy to appear in Raw and Nitro and ECW all in the same week because of the, right. the TVs, the TV tapings were done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Frank's record. Um, Back was the day, early nineties, it was good. Late eighties, and then this the feud, feud with a warrior. That was probably Warrior's best feud as well. If you can get a match at the Warrior, you're doing quite well. And there was a reason why he feuded with Warrior as IC champ and then as world champ yeah, because it's trying to put him over, yeah. Um, but I come the sort of September time in night seven, we're, again we're delving into further down the card. You've got the start of what would become Gang Wars at Survivor Series, where you've got the the old nation split up and crush had formed the DOA, oh, yeah. had reformed the nation, and Savio Vega had formed Los Bariquas. To me, Los Bariquas were, I want to use the word great here, right? And I don't mean that, and <laughs> like they were top billing, but they're one of the, the teams that were good to have on your roster. Yeah. You could tell they were heels, they all dressed the same. I would have believed that they would have been friends outside the ring, right? That yep. whole time, they, they looked like a team. You can put them in tags, you can put them in three-man, you can put them in four-man matches, you can put them in singles and have somebody crush one of them. And they were just good guys to have about your roster, because I think they were all decent hands. Um, what's your favourite Lost Bully Quiz match, is it? This one? Oh, <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can remember the match at SummerSlam that was the, the gang warfare, like they, they just fought DOA and then it kind of broke into a big brawl when the nation came out, but... Uh, that's Vince. Sometimes he just loves his his whole faction wars, and they were just ones that were offshoots of the, obviously Savio leaving the nation, and it didn't really do much for me to be honest with you. I remember one of the Edge 
get in, age injured one of them accidentally in his first match or something. Aye, first night in the AI. Did knock him out? I think he knocked him out and the guy ended up breaking his neck or something at the same time, so I don't really know how how much it's um but that that month again that, that was a, a good month to watch. You obviously get Sean, as you said, he was starting to jump in with Triple H and you still had Bret Hart doing his his, his vendetta against the I think he faced the Patriot at the pay per view that month, so <sighs> Patriot was a strange one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He was there like, gone. He looks like the sort of action figure you would pick up in like a Poundland. You know, <laughs> Aye. A generic wrestling wrestler. action figure. Aye. Wrestler A versus, I don't know, Dr. Evil or something, and Dr. Never, Evil's never got like a black mask on. Yeah, I never rated him either. He was, he, was, he was brought in to do a job to be Mr. USA for a couple of months, and then once Bret Hart had left and that had fizzled out, there was no real place for him. I'm sure he left. Was it just before the start? He was supposed to be at Survivor Series and then he left just before it. So I don't know if there was something con- uh, contractually behind the scenes that made him go, but I just remember, I think that No Way, no, no way Out. Was it Ground Zero was the pay-per-view? Aye, Ground Zero, September's one. Yeah, and I think uh, Brett beat, beat him clean. So that kind of killed him off straight away. There was there was nothing really there to, for him after that. I think he had another pay-per-view match than one faster, my flag match, I think. Um, but who was was it Austin and Dude Austin? I think there was a segment with Jim Ross in this paper. Remember, Jay, I was interviewing Dude Love and Austin. They were relinquishing the titles. This is when Austin was beating up the commentators, and this is when Jr. got hit with a star. <laughs> so that's the one I enjoyed. That's that, that was a paper view. I still I've watched that a couple of times since. It still holds up well. That one as well. And you get guys like the money times. Yep. Pillman, I think he was facing gold dust that night. Max Minnie, remember him, the wee guy? He was on the card. Um, no time for Minnie's. No time for Minnie's. I, I liked him. He was tiny. He was no bad. I think he felt, uh, he was, he did that when he jumped in Jerry Lawler's knee or something and were trying to play off that he was going to start a feud with the King. But no, I enjoyed that for what it, what it was. It was a comic relief at the time, so. And then he should have to it. Yeah, right. Nah, to, I mean, they would have minis and what was the evil one like tarantula or something like that. Yeah. And then they, they try to make it even more sort of entertaining by putting um, Sunny as a guest referee and I think she was a scantily clad. Yeah, and then they were rolling on top of her and stuff. I know, I know. So, but I, I'm sure this is the one where the headbangers. I think we talked about them. What was it last week? They were kind of they just never got over enough. But this was their big moment. I think they won the tag the, the tag titles. Austin came down. And, Helped them win the, the belts, I think, the stand on heart, and then it was either Thrasher, I think, got the, got the count. But they were a team that could have, they were what could have been team for me, because that whole music, that whole the whole Marilyn Manson, the grunge and the rock, that was all quite popular at the time, over the, the late 90s, so I was quite surprised that they, they kind of faded out. Ah, they, they were fine, they were absolutely fine. I mean, not a, they're not going to rival the LOD or the hearts or demolition or anything like that for the the best ever tag team. But like you say, it's at that time that's what's sort of popular in music. It's it's a way of life. It's a it's a sort of grunge lifestyle and Yeah. That's why I know it because that just kept going. They could have been a team that kept going and going because of the popularity of the, the genre at the time, but it was just strange how they, they kinda of faded them out and 
I don't know if there was an injury to one of them in that sound. I was going to say Thrasher got injured, I think. And then they repackaged Mosh Mosh with some terrible gimmicks like Beaver Cleavage. Beaver and then Cleavage, that's it. He was Chad, wasn't he? And they were going to go to domestic abuse or yeah. some other stupid angle and just Russo. kill him. Just kill him so, so dead, man. But I, the, the Patriot was, he was a strange one because he just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And then, like you say, the short run, wrestled Brett a couple of times, had a flag match, which I think they eventually changed to just a normal match. And then he's gone by the turn of the year and never ever spoken of again. It's just, I think he wrestled a lot more in Japan than anything else. Yeah, he was, uh, he was popular over there and like, the more independent promotions in America. He was he was big among them, but Japan was his sort of forte where he would uh, battle everyone. But no, as I said, he just didn't fit in in that sort of that attitude era that was kicking off because ten years prior he would have he would have done fine but nah not in the late nineties. Ah, that would have been he would have been probably over his anything, wouldn't he? If he yep. came along besides sort of Hogan, you can imagine him and Hogan teaming up to to beat a Russian team at like a SummerSlam or something. That's that's the sort of way they, they used to do these pay per views and very simplistic and stuff like that. But you're right by this time at history when you've got a guy with a mask on that just the Patriot is. When everything's getting real, he's he's not real. You know I mean, yep. you can you can say, oh, what a little the Patriot, or I want to. It's just it's a guy with a mask on at the end of the day, and it's not a Kane style mask, but it's a good gimmick. It's like generic wrestler. Yeah, probably where Sammy Day got the El Generico from, because that's very much what it looked like. So that sort of get up. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about what a. The best matches in history. <laughs> uh, October, Bad Blood, yep. 1997, Heaven a Cell. Still the best Heaven a Cell match ever. Yeah. Nah, well, yeah. yeah. Nah, I'd say, yeah, but for, for the match, that, it is. For the action, yeah, definitely. Then it's the one year later that we'd undertaken Mankind. But no, this is, it's outstanding. It's everything. Michael's just bumping like mad. It's, you just kind of describe it. it's what's about half an hour, forty minutes it goes, and even though you know that, well, I don't know, it wasn't really set in stone. I don't think it was set in stone who was winning because they didn't really mention what happened to like obviously the finish. They didn't mention Kane for the a couple of weeks prior, so it kind of just happened. Um, that's that's what I'm talking but, about. With this, this story was drip fed to you. Yeah, that's something they'd mentioned. Now, sometimes yep. they do this. Sometimes they, they dip a story and then just totally forget about it and they move on and people just forget until somebody on the internet pipes up and says, oh, whatever happened to this. But the the whole, you talked about Undertaker and they sort of taken a back seat throughout the summer. Yeah. And remember Paul Bearer returned and sort of said he had a secret and he was going to get the Undertaker to do stuff for him. Eventually the Undertaker separates from him, goes on to win the title. Sean screws him out of the title. Sean was not aiming to screw him out of the title, but he ends up doing it. Therefore, they have a yeah. match in September. The match in September ends in was a double disqualification or double count out. Double count zero. out, I think. Sort of double D. I think it was loaded. Do you know what I mean? It's a, ah, it's a schmoz. To use a Vince McMahon term, it's a schmoz. Um, Sean Michaels keeps running from the Undertaker, so the only logical thing to do is put them in a cage. Uh, the genius that is Jim Cornette suggests that they do an old school cage match with a roof on it because yep. anyone anyone and everyone had climbed in a WWF cage by now so 
there you've got it. You've got the whole thing with, I still remember the start of the match, where Sergeant Slaughter, who's the commissioner, comes out and mm-hmm. checks under the ring to make sure nobody's hiding under there or, or what, and then they go on to have a classic, yeah. a classic match. To me, it's it's an absolute classic where Sean is the heel running away from the the monster undertaker. Yeah. Taker stalks him. Sean tries to hit and run, hit and run, but then eventually when Taker gets on top, he starts absolutely destroying him. Oh. Sean beats up the cameraman, which again was something that we'd never really seen. This was sort of, whoa, what's he doing? What's he attacking that guy for? Because these cameramen had been on, they'd been on TV for years. You'd catch the odd shot of yeah. them with a boiler. And they were never, ever involved from there. The door, the door gets open. They go up the top. Sean takes a bump off it. They get back into the cell eventually. They relock the door. And just as you think that Taker's about to win the match, the lights go out. Kane comes down for one of the greatest WWF debuts ever, pulls the cage off the door, proceeds to tombstone Taker, hands Sean the victory, Sean crawls out a pool of his own blood. The, the sneaky heel gets away with it yeah. through luck rather than victory or a cunning plan. And so again, this segues nicely off into Sean moving on to his next challenger, who would be Brett. And Taker then starts a feud that would not come to head for what, twenty years. Or so? <laughs> well, like twenty years, but it would not come to their first match for about six months. Yeah, Kane, and it's just—I mean, these options. And I've spoken before about how WWF back here they would do things like promote a match, right? And I'll use Austin versus Taker as an example. They would promote that match and when was, was it called Day in Hell, which I can't remember off the top of my head what month it was, just say it was I think it May was May, or June or something. One, yeah, that was May. May. That match again you would have about just over a year later at SummerSlam ninety eight, but it felt totally fresh. Because yeah. it's a different Austin, it's no longer the upper IC level Austin. And takers changed a bit again. And it just felt fresh and they would do that so often. Like Mankind and Triple H, Mankind and Rock. They would just tweak characters, tweak stories that you sort of almost forgot that they wrestled just a, a year or so before. And it's just, it was something they'd done so well. But what's your thoughts on the, the Hell in the Cell, the first one? Because to me, it stands up today. It's an absolute classic. Yeah, it's it's just so much good storytelling in it. And it's just, you mentioned it when Sean's bumping around the cell, it's, he's running away. That That's what you want to see from. And he knew how to work that crowd and how to work the cage. He basically worked with a cage. I mean, we always say about how at WrestleMania he worked with a ladder. Remember at WrestleMania 10? So this is, but he basically worked with a cage in this one. But some of the, the shot, when Undertaker's poleaxing him like a dart straight into the cage, I think, oh, the blood's just pulling down his face. So the two of them just done that. The, the, the match is just a 10 out of 10, near enough. Do you know what I mean? We don't really see a lot of 10s. 10 out of 10 matches are 5 stars but um, no it's, it's, it does, it still holds up to this day and you still feel as if it, it flies in because they actually, even though the match is about 30-40 minutes long it's, it's, it still holds up and it's still something you can go back and watch even to this day and the ending, it just fits it fits all the bills because you've obviously got your um, it's your number one contenderships on the line, so Sean's going to move on, and then, as you say, it builds up um, Taker's next feud with, with Kane down the line, and it does, it puts Undertaker out for a few weeks, and then it gives him a chance to, to 
recharge his batteries and it gives you the chance to see Kane start running through the roster and it's just it was good storytelling and it's probably one of the last times that they've done truly good build to, to a feud that paid off because that was what a good six months you started hearing about Kane before before he came so no it's, you can't say good things about that match and the whole background to it I say just tick so many boxes and it's a screwy finish and I mean many times you'll hear people on this pod people on other podcasts say oh it was a great match but the, the finish ruined it because it was a screwy job finish nobody mentions that in this match because it was a screwy finish because it was just it was such a good way to introduce Kane it nicely finished off the match for Taker and Sean like you said Sean gets to move on to face Brett doesn't yep. deserve it but the heel can now crow about how he beat Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match it's just brilliant heel work and he's telling the truth, he's not telling a lie. Although everyone will point to the fact that he needed a lot of help to do it. Doesn't matter, he still came out victorious. And this this would boil away in the background. It would obviously come up again at Royal Rumble 98. Yep. So there's, there's threads that are not totally tied off and it, it just gives, I want to say the booking committee here because it still was like a, a three or four man booking committee before the still writers. It gives them an option to say, right, we've got that on the table. If we need to go back to it for whatever reason, that's there. But yeah. ideally, we want to go here. Um, I've no doubt they utilised that because of what happened at Montreal, which we'll touch on in a minute. We won't spend too much time in it because I think there's probably more podcasts and more YouTube videos on Montreal than there is in the Moonland, and people talk yeah. about that often. But was there anything else from uh, this pay-per-view, Bad Blood, that caught your eye? Uh, obviously, it was a the one Brian Pillman was supposed to fight Dude Love, I think, and then they found him dead that, that morning in the event. So that was just one of those ones that kind of shocked you when you heard about it. Because they, they didn't tend to, to blur the, the whole, do the whole real life thing and they announced it during the show. So it was a, it was quite a sad, sad moment there because he, he was on his way up. Because I think we discussed it last week. Can you imagine if Brian Pillman was fit? I know he's, he's always ankle issues and, but can you imagine him in the Attitude Era, let off the leash? It would have just been fantastic to see him. He could have feuded with anyone in that top of the card. He, he would have came in his own if he was fully fit and firing. He was, he was just that good. There's a feud with Austin right there, isn't there? Yeah, that writes that's, itself. Yeah, that's a heel. Uh, Aye, definitely. They had their sort of feud in WWF, but that could have main evented pay-per-views. Not saying I mean a WrestleMania, but a decent level pay-per-view that could have been touched on how they used to tag together in other companies you don't need to say WCW because this is at the time where people know yeah. you're saying I mean a wee, a wee wink other companies um, they came up together they they used to be best friends blah 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 and then you've got the whole Austin's got a gun angle to build on as well so I I mean again I'm not going to sit here and say I was the biggest Brian Pillman fan in the world but I, I think he would have been Certainly up there, and yeah, would have been a good foil again. Imagine a <laughs> imagine a Sean versus Pillman feud at this time with that's, yeah, <laughs> bingo. Think he was he, Brett. Yeah, you could have as you could have worked either. Is you could have done that heel run for a while where the fans would have basically been begging for him to turn, and he could have been one of the biggest baby faces in the company. And then you could have obviously the. The time when, if it obviously ever went right, him and Austin could have teamed up once again, just as that sort of outlaw. Sort of, even though Austin didn't have friends, but deep down, Pillman, we knew the two of them were best pals in real life as well. So, 
that would have been a good one to see them two back in the same page, even just for a, a couple of weeks, like doing a title run or something, or just going through a couple of a heels. That would have been a good one to see. It's, um, I mean, there's not a lot left on the October pay-per-view, and anyone that was watching or went back to watch these the pay-per-views, the end of your houses, they were, I think they were still cheaper at this point, and yeah, they were you only sort of knew, just under two hours, yeah. You sort of knew when you watched it that nothing big was really going to happen in them. I mean, I remember watching like 98 and 99 thinking it's only in your house, so the title doesn't really change hands here a lot. I mean, yeah. later years you'd maybe get an IC belt changing hands or the tag belt or something, but the big one never really changed hands. And the rest of the cards no great. Owen wins the tournament to win the... The IC belt had been vacated with Austin's help because yeah. Austin still wants to battle him. Yeah. Fuck him up. <laughs> Austin still <laughs> That's what he was doing, and he was all over this. And I don't know if they were booking this as a story. Well, clearly, we are that sort of hoped Austin would come back mm-hmm. and be at least something. So you don't want to obviously have your biggest star coming back and nothing really happening for them, nothing to do, and try to shoehorn them in. So they again, they're leaving threads open that they can explore yeah. and. And they would pick this up down the line. Um, after October, we have now got the build for Montreal. I'm going to let you start on Montreal. What's your thoughts on Montreal and the whole Survivor Series? Brett Hatch or Michael's match? Oh, I just wish that pay-per-view took place in America. <laughs> <laughs> if it took place in America, none of this would have happened in- Brett would have been able to come back when WCW folded or whatever and he could have come back a conquering hero but uh, we went over it time and time again the, the right thing to do was just to drop the bloody title and he, he was too pig-headed to do so so I mean right, right, we've, we've switched places here right because yep. you're, you're, a, you're a massive Brett Mark right mm-hmm. um, and I I'm a Sean Mark right that goes out saying but the thing is, right, if Sean doesn't say, I won't do the same for you, and just annoy Brett, then Brett does drop it to him, I think. I think yeah. Brett drops it after, or he drops it the week before, and it's fine, but it's just because these two rubbed each other up the wrong way, and it's not all, I don't believe it's all one of them, right, Sean was probably the bigger dick, but from Sean's point of view, Brett's taking it too serious, and yeah, Undertaker's... Aye, but Aye, just Brett was Mr. Business all the time. He was always on. He was never off. But and to be fair, we've all left jobs, right? We've all left jobs. We've been there a while, and something daft like the new guys come in and you've heard he's earning more than you. It's like if you're back up, and then you decide to leave or something, and you're like, I've been here ten years, and maybe try to keep me, or they're not being nice enough to me because I'm leaving. But we've all been in that situation, so it must be like that for Brett because he'd been there. How long he'd been there? Right 83, oh. so he was, he was there for fif- at least 15 years. So. 15 years, albeit a, a break or two, but still, you, you're working somewhere for 15 years, you probably do expect a wee bit of niceness on the way at the door after all you've yep. given, but hey, it's wrestling business, isn't it? As Scott Hall always says, it's a wrestling business, it's not a friendship business, so that's what it is. And do you remember the this was set obviously in Montreal, this pay per view, and do you remember the abuse that Billy Gunn was getting from the crowd? Him oh, yeah, yeah. Were doing, uh, words that certainly would not go down in a, a PC 2021, but no. I, they were getting abuse and they were doing the whole the old gimmick of the cuddling each other in the corner and 
Uh, the Montreal crowd were not too enamoured with it, but <laughs> and it's something I want to talk to you about after we sort of finish this window and the rest mm-hmm. of the year and seeing what's great about it. But in this match, with then you've got the Godwins and the Outlaws for the heels dressed as the Headbangers and the new Blackjacks. Now, yep. if you take out the Rage Outlaws, right? Has there ever been a team started with new that have actually got over and done well? Because the new Blackjacks are just ah, they were terrible. I mean, they were. There's no no real want to describe them. They were. It was one of they were just trying to fit Bradshaw back in, trying to get him a a feud that would well not a feud something that would hit fire. Barry Windham was obviously a bigger star than WCW, and he would eventually leave and go back there. But it, it was just they just didn't know how it'd work uh, with the two of them. Uh, the two guys in the blackjacks, they were just they were just there. It was just as if it was two guys that were paired together because there was nothing else for them and it was a shame because they were two good talents. JBL obviously went on to bigger and better things when he when he kicks on with the accolades a year later and his career goes upwards. Um, but it, it it took him years. I mean, when did he first win? Was it two thousand and four was when he won the, the title? So it, it just shows this is ninety seven, so there we are another eight, nine years later and he's still still pushing to try and get to the top. So fair play to him, but it was, it was just a, a team that was thrown together and it was never, never really had a chance to go over whatsoever. And it's something that's probably a pod in itself, right? But we've all heard about Vince's love-hate relationships with like people like Hogan and stuff where they're best pals or they're doing everything together and then the next thing they fell out and they don't talk for years, right? I think Vince has got that relationship with tag team wrestling. Yeah. And Colin of this parish, right? One of the, the main men about here, he, he told us our day he doesn't really like tag team wrestling. I'm like, what? I, I always loved tag, I loved tag I lo- team wrestling. Yeah, old school stuff, like the late night, well not the late night, early 90s was when it was at its peak. And then even Triple H tried to get it going in NXT again. Some of the tag matches there were fantastic, but it's kind of lost. It's it's lost now and amongst a, a shower of rubbish with a lot of stuff. And it's, it's teams getting thrown together. It's, it's a lot of teams... I mean, some some matches are good. I mean, I've not seen a good uh, tag match in WWE in quite a while now. I mean, we've seen AEW do some good ones, but they always throw in the old occasional high flying stuff. I know you don't really like that as much, but I mean, it's, it's we've seen it once, we've seen it a thousand times, and they, they really need to go back to basics for the, the whole tag team thing, WWE especially, and, and try and see what made it work back then, see if it can work now, because it just is. It's fast forward material for me, some of it. It's like, as I say, when we first started watching, right, you had, and you can help me by joining in here, Demolition, LOD, Heart Foundation, Rockers. Who else did you have? Give me some tag teams that were kicking about in the sort of late uh, 80s, early 90s. Well, obviously had the, the, Island, the Islanders, right? I think yeah, the Rock and Roll Express, but weren't really in WWF at the time, but you had, and then you had the Horsemen who were teaming, you had Strike Force. Brainbusters, you'd all these good yep. teams, do you know what I mean? There's hundreds of good teams that you could work with, right? You could go up and down the cards. And, and I firmly believe, and I still stand by this, that a title, like an IC title or a tag title, if you build it well enough, you can main event pay-per-views with that. I'm yeah. not saying you could main event WrestleMania, right? But you could main event your... I don't know... <laughs> came in one September, you could main event that. If you've got a feud that's hot enough, you could put a tag title match on yep. as a main event. 
you can put your champion somewhere else in the line. It's good enough to do. And after that, and after sort of Vincent, uh, Vince, after Sean and Brett left, I mean, they still had all right teams, right? You'd, like the Nasty Boys and stuff like that. You'd Money Inc. And then it sort of dried up. I know the Steiners came over for a while, and then you start getting teams like the One Two Three and One Two Three Kid and Marty Jannetty winning the belts, and you're like, mm-hmm. men in a mission who they try to. Like about '95, I think they try to kickstart it again. Like you Quebecers, yep. you Edge Drinkers, you Sean and Diesel as the two dudes with attitude, and then they sort of fall out with it again, and they don't look at it, and you've got Own Heart and Yokozuna, sort of they're fine, but it's really. A tag team, nah. can you imagine them having so much in common? No, really. And again, 97, they try to stick, kickstart it again. We mentioned the, the headbangers, you've got the Godwins for all their exactly a walking gimmick, but still. But then winning the belts, you've got Own Heart and the Bulldog, all right, mm-hmm. they're in the Heart Foundation, but still they're known as Own Heart and the British Bulldog. And then you've got Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels who would win the belts, then Dude Love and Stone Cold. It gets a bit sticky. The outlaws, I think, do a lot to rejuvenate it. They yeah. are obviously going to get really over in 98. But I don't think it's to like 99, 2000 before you really see the tag belts being taken seriously in a big yeah. thing again. I think it's... That, when you've got, yeah. You've got you your Hardys, Hardys and, haven't you? Dudleys, coming through. Yep. Aging Christian, the Acolytes, Rock and Sock Connection. Obviously, the outlaws are still kicking about. Even daft teams like the Hollies and stuff like that. Yeah, um, too cool as well. All these teams go over, and again, it's something I just don't think it's enough love. And at a time just now, and I know we're talking about '97, and I'm going off on a tangent, but at a time just now when WWE have more TV time to fill than any other time in their history, and they can't get a good tag division going, it's just yeah. absolutely it's the same. It's always the same faces. What in in the tag titles now? I mean, you've got. I don't know, you get the new day who seem to have been going after the titles for God knows how many years. It's and then you get street profits. I mean they're your they're your main ones. The Usos aren't really doing their kinda doing this Roman Reigns thing now, so it's nah, it's 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 kinda lost its way. I mean NXT still try and take it a bit seriously. Um but again it's it's just much of a muchness and the tag division in AEW is okay, but again, it's a lot of teams that are just thrown together. I mean, you've only got really one established team, the Young Bucks, um, and then apart they, from that... Uh, FDR, FDR, the Revival. Yeah, they're, 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 they're in there, but they're kind of keeping away from it now because they're in this, this uh, <laughs> faction, the pinnacle stuff. So, I mean, it's it, it will come round again, again, I'd imagine, but they need to start building up teams in the AEW. And the same with WWE. It's the same old, same old from them. So, fingers crossed that whoever's in charge of writing this week will be able to sort it out. The, the, thing, the last thing I'll make, the point I'm making this is I don't understand why they've got two sets of tag belts. Well, have they got two sets of women's tag belts as well? Uh, have they? Is it just women's tag and yeah. NXT? They've got NXT ones. NXT. I'm, I'm sure they've got one for each brand. Anyway, Aye, they do. We'll go back to good stuff. It's really bad, man. I just, they, they just seem to find more and more belts out. And, hey, that's just a more than But no, they've only, they've only got the one. They've only got the one defended okay. across both. And then NXT have got their own women's ones as well. So it's defended on both brands, Raw and SmackDown. Uh, back to Montreal. 
apart from obviously the, the main event, which has been well covered, we touched on Austin defeats Owen Hart to win back the IC belt. Yep. Austin's probably above the IC belt just now, isn't he? He doesn't yeah. need it here. But no. he needs to finish off that feud with Owen. Because yeah. if you just look at it as a, a wrestling mark, if you want to use the term, Owen get beat by the worst ever roll-up at <laughs> SummerSlam, which obviously was because of the injury, but it's still a terrible roll-up and probably one of the worst losing finishes I've ever seen, but there was <clears> reason for it. Um, so Austin has to sort of put an exclamation point on that feud. He gets his win back here. He gets it over. Like you say, it's not really a brilliant match, but there is reason for it. He's been worked back in. But to me, Austin is above this level now and he is at that level where He's probably been for a while, but he's to me the levels are like lower, lower guy and challenger for the IC belt. You know, you get some guys that are great challengers yeah. for belts that don't really need to need them. Then you've got champion, and there's that level above the IC title, and then you've got your main event people. And I think at this point he's just about to break into the main event people. He's above the IC belt, and this is just... I mean, you see the way he loses it. He's just like a hand over to the rock, doesn't he? That's right. That's when you know it's, he's moving on to bigger and better things. That November, late November, December is when he kind of... That's him. You know he's ready for the main event. and It's a case of building up to the Rumble and moving on to the title. But uh, the whole paper, the pay-per-view is good looking back up until the, the main event. But, I mean, you've got this... Who else is there? Kane, obviously, has the match with Mankind, and that's just a pretty much a destruction that's, that takes all place in the, the, the red light. And that kind of was never done at the time. It's been overdone in, the, in recent years with different... Um, Obviously, the fiend or Bray Wyatt, whatever he's calling himself, but it's, it's, when Kane done it, it looked menacing. Do you know what I mean? It was there was something different about it. There was an aura to it, and it, it made you just so invested in the match. And even though some some people did complain at the time, but as us as kids, going back watching it, it was excellent. Uh, it was different for Kane. I say Kane had the whole red gimmick. Yeah, everything about him was red, and I he was thrown. Mankind about like an empty track suit so is just try to build him up and get him ready to be a credible opponent for Taker because they had the sort of monster factory with people like Bundy and Trent Gonzalez and yep. <laughs> Diesel who Diesel I think was alright with working with Taker but Kama, I think as well was it Kama was, Kama, the right, Kama was one yeah. who desperately tried to get ready for him but this was obviously Mankind was Undertaker's toughest opponent to this date so yep it's absolutely fine and I say just sometimes when you know where you want to go and you want to have Taker and Kane at Wrestlemania you don't want them to touch before it it's just it's a great obstacle to put in Kane's way albeit yep. he flows right through it but it, it's just there um, and then of course Brett does jump to WCW and they pretty much make a heavily arse of it they, yeah they have him as a referee and I'll never so, understand it. And I've, I've heard Bischoff try to explain it, but as Jim Cornette says, you've got the hottest wrestler that everyone's talking about in world wrestling. You've got probably still one of the top three or four workers in the whole business and yeah. you bring them in and make a mess of that. It's, why did they do that? Why did they make a mess of it? I don't know. It's not as even if they brought him in to 
they just didn't know how to work with him. They didn't. Obviously, Hogan was pulling everything backstage and was still all the politics. Thing was coming up. That was, I mean, the big match. But they brought him in to be the referee for, was it Larry's or Bisco, be Eric Bischoff? And it's just, <laughs> oh my God. And there's no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever, bringing him in for that. But no, and then I think Brett came out later in the night, as the Starcade 97, and he came out and officiated the, the end of the match with, with Sting and Hogan. But it was just that they just didn't know what to do with him right from the off. I mean, what, what could they have done? We could they have put him in the NWO. Could, the, the logical thing to do would have just been him come straight in. You don't really. You could have been on cutting promos on WWF, Vince McMahon. You could have had him as a heel. You could have had him as a face. They just they just didn't give him any any chance to succeed. See, I think people were trying to cheer Brett. Brett was at the point where you know they get to what I call the the Ric Flair stage, where okay, we know you're playing a bad guy, but we still yeah, want you anyway. Yeah. Brett, although he'd been booed, right, he'd been booed and he played his heel role well. People were ready to cheer him again, and yeah. he came off that getting screwed. Everything knew he'd been screwed. He'd been bumped, so they were all on his side. And I think you bring him in to help Sting. You bring him in to go against Hogan, or you even have him face Sting or whatever, because you've got the whole battle of the Sharpshooters versus Scorpion Deathlock there. You bring a guy in at the main event level who people are being experienced and have him as a main event level talent. I mean, can you imagine saying Hulk Hogan, right, you've just jumped in, we're going to have you referee this this match. Hogan has never refereed that match, has he? No, no, definitely There's no not. way Hogan's doing that. I mean, you've just brought War, you're about to bring War era in 98, you've just brought Piper in, you've treated them all as main eventers, so you've got to treat Brett as a main eventer. And to me, it's Hogan. I love Hogan, but it's Hogan playing his games and Hogan's probably the smartest wrestler out there. Yeah, he's he probably... What was good for him. Yeah, he's probably just did one of these things backstage. He's seen Brett undoubtedly as a, as a threat coming in, obviously, with all the, the heat that he's bringing to the company. He's, he's bringing eyes. He's probably just been thinking, no, I'll need to hold him back as well. We know what Hulk's like. He's, he's had that, that whole that political stuff backstage for years and years. And if he sees a threat, he'll do his best to hold it down. Because like you say, Doug will be still on fire here. It's going to be their biggest ever match of Sting versus Hogan. He's not ready to give up that top spot. He's not ready to get his pay cut or anything like that. So you've also got Nash and Hall there who are, as we all know, widely discussed as bad backstage influences. So, But I think this should have been the making of WCW bringing in Brett. Because if you bring in somebody Brett's the calibre. We could have great matches with anyone we'd go on yeah. to have good matches with Benoit and it's, it would get a match out of Goldberg and stuff. It's probably the beginning of the end um, for for obviously for WCW and the ratings war and, and just in general terms because botching that there was never ever any way back. Um, one of the biggest stars in the business you botch that the ratings then start tumbling WWF take over about six no even six five months later and then they never look back and and that's it really for WCW they've, they've lost that edge and again who do you blame you've got to blame them because they just they had the stars but they just let too many they let the inmates take over the asylum in the end it's a bit like playing football manager or something like that and you've got a wonderful front three and then mm-hmm. you keep buying young up and coming strikers and then you eventually get too many strikers and you can't play them all 
you need to move people on and we know there was a war going on and people didn't want to lose people but if you bring in somebody like Bret Hart you put him as a main guy you'll now I know right and I'll slate Bischoff for this and I think Conrad and stuff has slated them on his podcast and Bischoff saying I well it wasn't all me Brett yeah. was done which aye, is probably think, fair enough aye. he was resentful he was, just, he was he was there to pick up his money and then I think he would have been quite happy to get out of wrestling after that contract had done because as that, that just totally mentally shattered him what happened and it took him as we know it took him what nearly 13, 14 years to get over it to come back so it's how long was Brett's contract for? Can you remember? What one? The WCW, WCW one? one. Many years, was three, it? Three years, I think. Three years, right. So there's another what if for you, right? And I love a good what if. If Brett drops the title properly, right? If, and again, I'm just blaming Brett for whatever. I'm just saying, if Brett drops the title properly, if he drops it at a house show somewhere, right, and Sean takes the belt from him. Yep. Sean's gone from WWF a couple of months later. All right, he's still there, but main TV. Yeah. Do you think, again, if Brett doesn't get injured, do you think Brett makes a jump back in 2001 if he's still fit? Because I think he does. Yeah, I think he would. Well, then you've got the own stuff that might play on his mind about getting back as well. But Aye. if nothing happened, if nothing like that, if the Montreal didn't happen, I'm sure he would He would have definitely came back. And how good would he, that would have been rather than seeing Shane McMahon leading like a WCW invention about Bret Hart coming back to Oh, so right or wrong would have happen. been far better if he was a leader coming back. So that was another botched one. Aye. Uh, well, we're nearly at the end, mate. Our favourite year in wrestling. I'm trying to think what else happens in December. December, I always think, is a funny time in wrestling because. Yeah. No, they'll just like, get ready for Rumble and they do, sort of fill uh, in with. It is. It's that sort of weird period now. People talk about the time between Christmas and New Year when you don't know what day it is. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got a time between Survivor Series and Rumble where uh, there's a lot of filler going on and a lot of daft things. They've got time for one last pay-per-view, DX in your house, which is it's all right. It's, again, it's an in-your-house event. It's there. It's got Sergeant Slaughter wrestling that I didn't think I would be seeing in 1997. It's against Triple H. It's got yep. double, double J beating The Undertaker, which I don't think I would ever see. Um, Albeit it's a bit of a schmoz. We talked about Stone Cold beating The Rock. Well, he pretty much beat up the whole nation. I think he saw that Stunner Dilo in the, the truck, didn't he, that night? Yeah, that was a good That was the one where the truck gets totally wrecked. The, the windscreen goes, Austin stunners him everywhere, and then The Rock gets the, gets the stunner for the win. But no, that, that's a good five, ten minutes. No, even ten minutes. It's, a good, it's just a good brawl. It's probably one of the better brawls that they do. It's. Um... I say Austin is presented as being well above Rock's level, well yeah. above the IC level, and this is again they know where they're going here. Like yeah. I know a lot of TV gets booked week to week, minute to minute. Nowadays, I honestly don't know how they don't have a long term plan of what's going to happen. But back here, they they knew that Austin was winning that belt at Mania. That was their feel good moment. They had to do some padding. They had to do a wee bit of elevation. But it's part and parcel. It, one man we've not really spoke too much about, Ken Shamrock. One yeah. of my pals in school absolutely love Ken Shamrock. Um, it was his favourite wrestler. I've no idea why. <laughs> uh, I didn't mind him. I thought he was a good IC level talent. 
Kiri gets a world title shot, and you mentioned it earlier. I don't think there was any danger of him putting the belt on him, but he was poses a good threat, and yeah. he was going to have good feuds with the Rock, and I think that was probably his best work he done in the company. Um, but here he, he fights with, has a fight with Sean. Sean's wearing tremendous DX inspired tights. Um, what was your thoughts on this match and thoughts on Ken Shamrock as a whole his time in '97, which obviously he sort of an up and down match with Vader, which was a yep. bit stiff. Played a feud with the Bulldog. Anything other memorable from Shamrock that you liked or disliked? No, I think he was the one that the time they, they wanted to do stuff with him, but it was just never the right time to pull the trigger on him either. It, it showed in a lot of the feuds it had. It was a lot of stop-start stuff with him in this match. I mean, it's it's as it a filler feud for a month there, just to, to show and gets back to facing the Undertaker at Mania. And Shamrock was still to find his feet really because he's not really had a feud really of anything meaningful. The first one that he has, I think, is the one with the Rock in that last just before Mania, all the way through to the King of the Ring. So that's his big. That's his big feud that, that gets him over eventually. But I just felt there was always something something lacking from him. I think his promos weren't the best um, either. So that that's what's held him back. And he goes into the, is it the corporation he joins, and he just that he just looks lost in that one as well. And that's that's a thing where he just looks lost in general, and he, he just kind of fades away. And is it early two thousand? He, he goes. Um, he's he just kind of disappears, and and that's him. He's he's done at WWF. It's it's strange because he's still wrestling today. I think he's is he in Impact is he part of. Um, um, I don't know. I heard him, him on a podcast. He had a match there last year with him. I know that, but it's 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 strange because you'd think that if, if he still want to wrestle now, is there any sort of desire to see him in WWE again or whatnot? He must be in his fifties now, but no, it's he had a good run to start with, and then it's just as if they, they didn't know what to do with him, and, and he's kind of get burned out as well, and just just totally disinterested by the end. So, no, the match itself, the, the only thing I really remember from it's the ending where, where Sean's won by DQ. Or, Shamrock's one with DQ and Sean's out celebrating on the table and you just see the guy with the hood come flying out of nowhere and Sean takes some what a bump again through the table the table just blasts into smithereens and some of his own heart that's battering him and you see some of the shots that Owen's giving him his, but he busts his face open he's using his nails to so their shots were definitely they were stiff and they were they were really well done and he, that's what he said well at the time Sean told him just go in and dig in and just get the blood out there and squeeze and that's what he done and it was really well done and you could see that hatred that Owen was giving him just absolutely piling into him I think JR's on record of saying that Shamrock was a wee bit unreliable sometimes mm-hmm. when he turned up for things and that's why he was never given like a major push because I think if you want to legitimise WWF to have a former UFC champion as your champion, and this is obviously before UFC was as big as it would become, I don't know, 10 years later or so. World's most dangerous man, etc., etc. So I think there was a bit of both in there with Shamrock and WWF at fault, but it it was just there for me, and I think IC level was his level. Again, one of these guys you could bring in for matches like this, and I think again... If he was a wee bit better, a wee bit more reliable, he could have easily been a, a filler feud. I think yeah. that's a term we'll use for Austin. Um, you 
to obviously legitimise Austin's bad legs and stuff like that, put the ankle lock on him. I was doing fine. Um, but I, for me, he's icy level and that's really with it. I think he found this called one with the rocks. That, but again, yeah. you're working with one of the best of all time, aren't you? If you, yeah, you can't get over exactly a few with the rock, you, you're doing a wee bit wrong. But no, Shamrock was decent. And I think he went on, I think he might say he was the first Impact champion or the TNA champion, whatever it would be called then. And yeah. I, his, his love wasn't pro wrestling, though. His love was MMA. Yeah. He was one of these guys that enjoyed the, the competitiveness of it, the the real sport, for lack of a better term. It was, hey ho, I mean, everybody's got their love. Some people do their job to earn a living and they just happen to be good at it. We've seen football players that don't really enjoy yeah, football, but they, they just happen to be good at it. Hey, yes. that's, that's it. Um, Right, so that's us covered off the most in 1997. So give us your matches or match of the year, whatever order you want to do it in. You want to do the best match, your best couple of matches, your best tag, your best gimmick, oh. whatever you want. What have you got? I'll go with best match first. So I think you'll agree, Brett v. Austin at Mania 13 was the, by far the best. Um, just everything that they done, the whole the submission match, the storytelling, the double turn. So... Uh, it just still stands up to this day as like, the ultimate match if that's how you want to, to to switch two characters around and that, go and watch that match and see how it's done because it still holds up to this day for me that it's 1 and 1A one between that and the Undertaker yeah. itself does nothing for me um, both are absolutely tremendous I'm on record as saying that Austin and Brett at WrestleMania is my favourite ever WrestleMania match, but this year the, that Hell in a Cell match is just like we discussed the story, the people in it, they all play their parts to perfection and just. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, that's that's my number two on it as well. So no, it's it's definitely up there. And why else is '97 your greatest ever year in wrestling? Is it because of just the characters? Is it the change of attitude? Is it the the talent involved? Is it all the great matches? Is it just or is it when you go back and you're looking because there is some things that you go back and look at in wrestling and go oh I like that yeah. so now I've, that's not really stood the test of time but for me 97 does yeah no it still does You've got, it's like the wild west it's just everything's going on at the one time you, the characters make it you've got the different view you've got Bret Hart turning heel something that fans never thought would happen they've got them fighting USA v Canada, you've got the rise of Austin. It's just a perfect storm. You've got just everything going on in the background, and, and the characters, well, the wrestlers make it, and, and they're getting light off the leash a lot more physically and on the mic. So it's it's just one of those years that will always stand up. Aye, for me it's all above. It's you've got great matches, you've got stories that are all intertwined. You've got the rise of Austin, um, really starts to come into his own. You've got Probably Brett's best year in wrestling. You've got Sean's best year. I know he's injured a wee bit and stuff like that, but you get to see the, the rise of DX. Yep. The elevation, I think, the whole company gets a lift. Most of Austin, off the back of Austin. You've got controversial matches, you've got gimmick matches, you've got, but without taking absolute piss, you don't have a hell on a sale pay per view because that's October and whatever month that is scheduled for this year. It's mm-hmm. hell in a cell because we have these two guys, one keeps running away from the other or getting his friends to help, so therefore we need to put them in a cage. Um, yeah. 
you also get a decent kind of a ring that sort of elevates Triple H a year later than expected. So it's it is what it is. I think it's got everything. It's got a wee bit of Bischoff on his podcast will say that wrestling should be a buffet, and I think mm-hmm. next seven is a perfect buffet. If you don't like where WWF's going, you've got WCW that's got the NWO going strong. You've got the year-long storyline with Sting that perhaps we've not touched on enough. You've got Lex Luger, if that's your thing. Um, you've got the resurgence of the, or the start of the resurgence of the tag division that probably yep. won't come to fruition for a couple of years, but you can see the step stones are there. And I see you've we talked on it briefly last week. You've got ECW that if you're not happy with certainly WWF at the start of the year being a wee bit too safe, if you're not happy with Hulk Hogan still being the main events, maybe what seven eight years after they really you think he should be a main event, yep. then you you go and you watch ECW where people are not jacked up bodybuilders, where people are not overexposed, where people have been sort of plucked out of these independents where people who are maybe a wee bit too short or too fat or too skinny or just they don't fit the cookie cutter mould of what a wrestler should be and you like rock music, if you like people drinking beer, if you like crowds that are part of the show that's what ECW is and we spoke about the headbangers catching a sort of a section of society, I think yeah. ECW done that and you did they would work with WWF, but if you some people were WWF, some people were WCW, some people were a mix of both, and some people were ECW, and and that was what they loved. And so I think wrestling nineteen ninety seven has got something for every wrestling fan. Um, I mean, one time, right? One time we'll get Young Xander on, who loves all the Japanese stuff, and can tell you who wrestled who in the Tokyo Dome and all that. Japanese wrestling's never really been for me. Yeah. Um, much more an American guy. I even struggle with a lot of the British stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, no, some like, of it, yeah, it's, it's, it's give or take. It's, it's personal preference. It's like ICW. I've never been an ICW show. It's just not for me. Uh, I think it takes a wee bit of the mystique away when you've got a wee guy for Paisley. Or mm-hmm. a wee nah, guy for, home, you know what I mean, London. <laughs> it takes a wee bit of the shine off it. Um, for those of you who were pretty rubbish at jobs, I feel like me, but know where certain places in America are because of wrestlers and where they came from. I mean, just a consequence is New Mexico and <laughs> Dudleyville and all of these places and the, the, the world-famous parts unknown. Um, but, no, is there anything else that you've got in 1997 that you need to discuss before we, we put a bow on this one? Yeah. No, that's... that's I mean, you've... you've discussed it and you've went round it in a good way there with the, the summation that you gave but it'll, it'll always stand the test of time I mean I'm, I'm going back doing like a deep dive and watching it now I'm, I'm different Raws I'm, I've watched SummerSlam 97 I'm, I'm at the first Raw after it now as well so I'm going to take my time and just enjoy getting back over watching those last few months of that year because it was just a great time for being a wrestling fan as you say and, and it really the, the boom period is that sort of late '96 all the way through to like your 2001 period for me, and that's that's when I I loved wrestling, and I still love wrestling. It's it's never going to change. Do you know what I mean? It's been part of our life, well, my life anyway, for over 30 odd years now. So I don't see it ever not being part, unless it just completely the whole business just shuts down or something. But I'll be there watching most shows, maybe not religiously every week, but. I'll certainly be giving it a good go and 
obviously just now, it's not the best time for them, but we're they're turning live crowds in a couple of weeks to the, the product as well. That should see WWE especially, they should kick on now. I'd imagine that the live crowds will return, so interested to see what they do, but no, 97 will always, will always stand up and it's, it's by far and away the best year in wrestling by a million miles. <laughs> it's, I am, um, as it's, if 1996 is when football came home to England for the Euros, I think 1997 is when wrestling became cool again. Yeah. There's certain points in like 94, 95, 96 where good things are happening, but it's just not there yet. But I think 97 was, it was starting to become acceptable to be a wrestling fan again. Yeah, um, definitely. And I was, well, see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not as much into it as you are now. and by that I mean like current product, but mm-hmm. on a daily basis I'll listen to at least one wrestling podcast. Yeah. I will watch yeah. the A and E shows. I will watch the WWE Treasure shows. I subscribe to the wonderful Inside the Ropes magazine, which is like Power Slam of the old days. Yeah. <laughs> um so I will read and listen to all this stuff but I I can't watch the modern stuff. But that's a discussion for another day. Sai, thank you. As always, we will be back Maybe next week, maybe the week after, depending on how schedules align. Yeah, I'm on holiday starting tomorrow, but now we'll we'll get something worked out and we'll we'll get our first guests on as well, so it shouldn't be too long to to round some guys up for that, I'd imagine. We've got a couple of ideas in the... I've got another one that I've not even told you about. Mm. Um, My best Raw match. Everyone talks about people like, oh, what's Austin's best pay-per-view match? What's Bret Hart's best pay-per-view match? But What's everybody's best match they had on Raw? There's mm. a different twist for you. Yeah. Now, I'll put an earlier one out there. Brett's is maybe one with uh, X Park, one, two, three kids. Yeah. That's a classic that's a good one. An early Raw. But I just wonder, and this is something I just thought of off the top of my head, which is I don't even know what Austin's best Raw match would be. That's something I need to look into because, yeah, like, obviously, in 98, a lot of his are like schmozes or dash tag matches or just him stunning on everybody. Um, I think maybe his best that, one is maybe the, the tag match with Triple H against uh, Benoit and Jericho. That was a good one. That's one that of his best. Uh, uh, Sean's might actually be the one with John Cena. Yeah, the Iron Man. Went in. Yeah. Um, was it Iron Man? I don't know. That's went a topic. That was in Manchester. I think it was London. I. Aye. Um, so we'll do something like that. We'll do we'll have a, a deep dive on ECW because. I talked about things that perhaps don't age well, and I think that ECW might be in there. Um, <laughs> I think so. Um, we've also got other things. So I'll just thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the wonderful feedback we got for episode one. And thanks to you, Sai, and we'll be back speaking to you very, very soon, won't we? Yep, same place, same wrestling channel. Yep. Same back time, same back channel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will speak to you soon. At Quite The Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints. 